Asbury Pod gratefully acknowledges the support of Tom Chesick at the Stephen Crane House. Tom has graciously allowed us to record today's episode right in Stephen Crane House, located at 508 Fourth Avenue, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Stop by and learn everything you want to know about Stephen Crane. Thanks, Tom. Welcome to Asbury Pod. In honor of National Poetry Month, we welcome local poet Cord Moreski, who is the host, curator, and driving force behind the wildly popular Coffee and Words poetry series held at the Asbury Roastery Coffee Shop a series that is in turn just a small part of the New Jersey poetry renaissance, which is bringing poetry readings to spaces all over the state of New Jersey. Welcome, Cord. One note, we have added a recording of Cord reading several of his poems to the end of this episode, so stay tuned and give them a listen. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. Welcome, Asbury Pod listeners. It's March 31st, and we want to acknowledge its Trans Day of Visibility. So, a shout out to all of our trans family and friends. And we are here with, you just told me how to say your last name and I'm going to get it wrong, Cord Moreski, Moreski, our coffee and words guy. We're going to have you talk a little bit about yourself. Okay. And then we're going to pepper, I'm going to pepper you with questions about poetry because I always found poetry to be torturous. Okay. Yeah. I hope you like our poetry. I think you will. I hope so too. I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. She won't hold back. No. Um. It just always, it was like reading Shakespeare. Like people, these, mm-hmm. I feel like you like reading Shakespeare. And I'm I like, do. it was torturous. It was absolutely torturous for me. Poetry is definitely school. not that. Okay. I feel like the poetry I read in high school was torturous. It, mm-hmm. it probably was meant to be. The tor- it might have been. I went, to <laughs> Catholic, I went to Catholic high school. Oh, yeah. So it likely was. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, uh, yeah. I'm we, sorry, Corey. We it should is, let you introduce yourself before I go off on poetry it, with our guest who's here to talk about poetry. It is also National Poetry Month. In April, oh. which is, you know, why we were, we're in the Stephen Crane house who also wrote poetry, didn't he? We are recording again from our friends at the Stephen Crane house who was, an, uh, as we mentioned in the previous episode, another great poet. That and did Tom write poetry? Tom Chesnick, hmm. who did our Stephen Crane house? We can ask, to Tom, ask him. Tom's in the next room. We'll ask him afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but uh, so our guest today is Cord Moreski from uh, runs the Coffee and Words. Uh, um, uh, well, it's not just a poetry reading. It's like a spoken word event. It's right? actual series. Yeah. yeah. Poetry series. And I remember seeing you were running it at, um, in um, Asbury Roastery on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that when it first started, as I was t- telling you before. In we, the p- uh, pavilion near the casino. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the, sa- on the north, uh, south end of the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And I noticed noted when you first had the, had the first episode or episode, the first event, 
and then uh, a year later you were still doing them, mm-hmm. right? And so that's you, and uh, the, it's just grown and gotten bigger and bigger. And so for uh, that's why I was like for natural National Poetry Month, um, let's try to get Cord in because you know you've even attracted the attention of PBS and reached some PBS special. But before we do that, you um, and how many people at your first event? The first event we had about forty. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's only grown actually. So I'm really happy. Like where we're going now is like a lot bigger. Um, we've get poets from all over the place. You know, New York, Philly, not just New Jersey, uh, California. Last year, it's like a whole scene going on right now. So the first event you had, you had forty people. 40 That's people. like unheard of, right? Having forty people at your first event, right? Mm-hmm. For poetry, I feel like I have city events all the time, and we would. If we have four people, we consider it a success. Cord, uh, would you consider running the uh, Asbury Park Council meetings? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Get a poet in there. We'll let you intermittently read poetry. (laughs) Just to get some uh, public interest, right? So, well, when did the uh, when did you guys start? uh, Well, before that, I wanted to ask you. You know, you grew up in Ocean Grove, so this overlaps with our Asbury Park. You know, um, born and raised. Like, so you you uh, you're our first Ocean Grove native, born and Mm -hmm. raised. Yeah, what was it like growing up in Ocean Grove? Um, so I grew up in Ocean Grove in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I'm 35. And so Ocean Grove, I mean, it's always been a weird little town for sure, 100%. Yeah, definitely weird. Um, but growing up in the 90s, it was very quiet. I mean, but there were certain sides. Like, I feel like um, the side by Broadway going more towards Bradley Beach was more um, kind of like upscale. And then the side that I kind of lived on. Uh, more towards Asbury Park was a lot more sketchy. There's a lot of halfway houses and things of that nature. And it was crazy because there was never really cops there. So there was a lot of stuff going on in that town. Um, yeah. And then you heard about everything. I think it was in Marlboro yeah. with the penitentiary in the 80s where they just dropped a bunch of people off and literally were like walking the streets. I remember that as a kid. Well, that's my, re- my recollection of the, like, as Ocean Grove. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kissed a girl at Marlboro Psychiatric. Oh, wow. Yeah, not a patient. Oh. <laughs> not a patient, okay. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I, when when I your... was a teenager. Yeah, oh, I vol- did I volunteer? I might have volunteered there. I don't think I worked there, but I think yeah. I had a church group or something that volunteered there. Ah. So I just remember being like 10, 11, walking the streets and just seeing these people and being like, oh, like, okay. And that was like, so I had that. And then, you know, I mean. I also would see people like literally having sex on like steps crazy of stuff yeah, yeah crazy stuff we're in ocean grove no no, no. Oh, marble psychiatric Marble, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. people uh, were just yeah wow. it was it was wild wow. it was wild but I, I i i distinctly remember like being in ocean grove in the 90s and it being weird like, it was it was weird and then like i don't know but then and then you had like asbury park and my yeah. my my mom and my dad tried so desperately to stop me like to not go over there and i'm like <laughs> just a moving force like you know yeah. just, i'm gonna do it i'm like a preteen teenager, I mean, they were tried and I would just go over and like go skateboard in the casino or go right. surf or go to Warp Tour, you know, yeah. when they had Warp Tour back in the day. And, you know, it's funny because like I look at Asbury now and how much it's really grown. But like back then, I remember what it was, you know, too. And I remember. Yeah, Asbury's like 100%. Now, yeah. now Asbury's like, you skateboard kids, you can't come. No. <laughs> and we're going to tax you and charge you $100 for even yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, total if, opposite. Yeah. If only someone on the council could do something if about only that. Only somebody could. Oh, no. <laughs> the. Um, yeah, you know, that's something I've heard that, you know, um, so when, when the federal funding for mental hospitals, you know, ended, you know, they released a lot of people on the streets. Other other cities had the same story. Portland, Maine. So I had a friend sad. of mine lived there. Just you know, everyone moved. You know, they released from the hospitals. They sort of ended up in Portland, Maine, and same thing. A lot of like public weirdness, like you know, unmedicated, mentally ill people. Yeah, and we had all those. It's not their fault. Back then, too. yeah. What's that? We had all the boarding homes. We had all those yeah. boarding homes, rooming homes. 
the hotels that had been converted. So it was an interesting time. And we also would have, so if people would get picked up for like little stupid uh, petty offenses, yeah. police wouldn't want to necessarily take them back to Keensburg or whatever. So they just right. dropped them all in Asbury. Oh God. So, you know, how did you, but so how did you get involved in poetry? So you're like a surfer kid on the boardwalk. Yeah, skater, surfer kid. Right. So a punk rocker. Growing up in Ocean Grove would be, you were, he's the first person that we have like growing up in Ocean yeah, Grove. Yeah, first one. I, uh, it was fun. Like in the winter, I mean, we'd skateboard obviously. Cause again, they're like the, I think the police at that time had more crazier things to worry about. So we would play like man, like in the winter, we'd play like manhunt in those tents. Yeah. People would like chase Too us funny. out. It was just so Too fun. Funny, yeah. But you just hit on it. Like manhunt is a distinctly, that is the Jersey term. Like they call it mischief night, all those well, yeah, things. Yeah, you well, know, that like, is a new, central New Jersey thing. Um, I haven't heard that in a while, but man, yeah. is, we used to do the same in Old Ridge. Um, but I didn't mean to uh, sidetrack us. But no, no, we used to play Manhunt or, as a kid. Yeah. I think we also used to call it Ollie Ollie Oxen for yeah. Yeah, 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 back in the day. But it had different names in different, like, you know, different states. They were like, and different like, rules, yeah, but basically yeah. the same theme. Jersey rules were like, just don't die. Just we used to play right. the game that, remember that game was like bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish? How many pieces do you wish? Like, totally. Like, yeah, just like, totally. just like funny things like that, you know? Was that your first poem? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Well, that, so that's the follow up question. How does, okay. a, how does a skate kid get involved in poetry? Well, yeah. So I, uh, when I was a kid, like I think I got into poetry around like six or seven years old. I mean, my parents always listened to like records, and my grandparents who lived down the street in Ocean Grove, um, records of poetry. No, no, just like oh. records. And oh, I, yeah, I just yeah, like yeah. I was always just like really into the lyrics. Okay, okay. And my par- I mean, my parents would listen to Bowie and all that, and I just like really just was always drawn to the lyrics. And I think at that time, like I didn't mention this in the documentary, but I um, this is why I'm a special ed teacher. This is why I teach English seventh grade. Like I um, like when I was a kid, I had to learn disability myself. And it was like just basically like I couldn't read at first. I was really quiet as a kid. And then I also had problems like kind of like just writing, expressing myself um, mm-hmm. just like with written expression. And I remember my grandmother, I would like literally every like every day after school sit on her lap and we just read. Mm-hmm. Like I was like six, seven years old. And, where did and you poetry was like, uh, oh, I went to Neptune first. Neptune, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Ridge Avenue, which does not exist anymore. Um, and so I would just sit on, like, we would just read. And poetry was like the one thing that I felt like it was just easy to read. You know, like the rhyming schemes when I was younger, like as a kid, that was like really cool. And it was just really easy to understand. This is more like, you know, like silly, like nursery rhymes and things like that. But it was a start. And that like actually taught me how to read. And then well, it's like kind of ironic, right? Like, well, I would object and say nursery rhymes are very serious business. Like, you know, I found like they're <laughs> stuck in my head now. I'm 54. Yeah. You know, in terms of rhyming and early language development, they're genius, mm-hmm. you know, because they 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 stick, you know, and your brain remembers them. And, you know, you get some very complex language relations from like the from the wording. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a great. Like, and then I think like when I, uh, you know, and then. I think it was around 2001. I was probably like 13. And this is like when I really remember writing my first poem. Like I remember my grandparents' place was always like this like kind of sanctuary. Like we, I could – my parents both worked. My dad was a grocery store worker. My mom worked at like Quitcheck overnights. So my grandparents would like pretty much take care of us. I was one of six. And we would sit there. And it was like kind of like I would like I could like listen to music there. I could play like paint. They lived and in Ocean things. Grove too? Yeah. They lived a couple blocks down from oh, us. Nice. And, um, so, but that was like, for me, like kind of like a nice, like a safe place for me to like, kind of just express myself. And I remember my dog passed away and I was like, yeah, like about like 12, 13 at the time I was like in middle school and it was the summer before nine 11. I remember it. And it was like hot. I remember my dad had the dog in his arms 
And I just remember like seeing it all and I never like lost anything in my life at that time. And I was just like, whoa, yeah. you know, and there was this feeling of grief and I needed to like get it out of me. And so like, I remember going to my grandmother's and just writing this like poem for my dog. And my mom still has it somewhere. I'm sure it's probably like looking at it now. I'm like, oh man, this is, this is crazy. But mm. it, it's exactly what a 12 and 13 year old would have written, you know? Right. And it just kind of followed me. Like I always loved music. I always loved punk rock. Like I got really into punk rock and I was like, 12, 13, um, and that was like that whole culture, that DIY culture, that whole ethos. I just, I always loved it. And the lyrics, I was always drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just one of those things that has always just followed me. So that's where I kind of started you off. You know what's like so interesting about him is that like when you're trying to like get grief or something, like your view is like, let me get it out. So I'll get, get it, it out, out through yeah. poetry. And when Joe and I, it was like, how do I push it down like alcohol yeah. drugs like you name it right push it down do not get it out mm. push it oh, down yeah. i wrote a and lot then, of bad and then poetry. put a lot of <laughs> vodka on top of it yeah yeah um so it's interesting that to i mean get i was only out, 12 at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> i'm not sure that made a well, difference think, in my house but. did you did you encounter any uh was poetry taught in schools because you know as a i i first encountered it, you mentioned catholic schooling before uh, poetry was all over Catholic schooling, and I, we, we had to memorize. You know, I still remember. I memorized Sonnet. Eight, I was required to memorize oh Sonnet God, eighteen. I'm so sorry. No, I remember it today. I like it, and you yeah. know, I think it's an interesting exercise that they don't. You're not required to do that anymore because it's it's cha- it's a challenge. But I, I, you know, so I'm wondering. It, it, they probably have stopped had stopped doing that by the time you went to school. Yeah. Right. Uh, we were required to do poetry. That's why I mean, I read, I read a lot of that, like in middle school and in high school. And I was in a couple creative writing clubs too, and a couple really bad bands, which yeah. always was like hilarious, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, like, but we would we read the classics. Obviously, yeah. we read Shakespeare. I, I think it was really college where I really started falling in love with it again. You know, yeah. I was, uh, I like fell in love. I like got into like the English Romantics, like Blake, words were old Wordsworth, you know, uh, Shelley, you know, like. All of that, and then that kind of opened my doors, like to the Beats and to like the American Romance, like Whitman, and mm-hmm. you know, and it just kind of slowly made its way up, like even like Frank O'Hara, and you know, mm-hmm. Dor- we talked about Dorothy Parker before, and I just kind of was just checking off these different people, and as we got more, you know, as I I started like reading more and more, I think I ran into what I'm doing now, you know. Yeah. I got more into small press, and it right. felt it felt right for me. I, I wanted to change poetry my own way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, what I I liked, um, you know, I picked up from the documentary. Yeah, you know, and uh, the what I didn't realize until after uh, we had um, um, arranged to t- speak to you that the, the poetry scene that you started here in Asbury is actually part of a much larger scene. Yeah, it's huge. You know, um, now sort of known as the New Jersey Poetry Renaissance, and I so I. I feel bad that we didn't also extend an invite to your partners, but like Damien um, Rucci. Rucci and Rebecca Weber yeah. are also part of this. You know, I love this them. <laughs> scene, right? and, but you guys started this going back uh, you know, into Ma- Matawan, right? Uh, yeah, we like, did it at Papa Ganache, the vegan bakery. <laughs> I love Papa Ganache. Yeah, that's where, that's where this I, whole I poetry renaissance thing actually oh, started. I love Papa Ganache. And it yeah. started back in like 2014. So I was out of college. I was, you know, getting my teaching, th- like, but I was like, you know, I got published a couple times in college. I did a couple performances and I was like, I really love this. Like I just, I, I it was always a part of me. Like I said, I think it was just like, Oh man, like I could maybe do something with this and maybe just have some fun. So I was at an open mic and I met Damien Rucci back in like, it was like 2014. And at the time the poetry scene uh, was predominantly slam poetry mm-hmm. and 
or academic. Yeah. So it was rather you had to... Like, so describe what both of those are. So slam poetry um, is basically like an art where it's like performance poetry. It's memorized. And there's usually judges that will judge your work. Um, they have like teams and all that. And, um, you know, for me, I just never was really into that kind of like I just that was just wasn't for me. I have some friends that are slam poets that are phenomenal. Um, but I just really wasn't into that. And where was Damien? We were both like working class punk rock kids, you know, like we were just like, yeah, that's not really for us. And then academics wouldn't even look at us because we didn't have like an mfa or it wasn't just like <laughs> polished enough and we were like well if we're not going to be invited to their party we're gonna make our own party and that's where it all came so yeah. i actually gotta thank them because it's hilarious because when we started doing shows they started coming to our shows right they all come to your which party. is like crazy yeah. so my first one that i did was in 2016 and it was at it was called words on main which was across the street from the municipal building it was at dino's on main Remember Dino's on Main? Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course we that's Dino's. where. So that's li- where. I'm going to full circle. Okay. They yeah. lived in the Santander. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Dino and his partner Steve. I lived there Dino with my Steve. ex-wife for a year there. In that. Everybody's lived there. Yeah. Where did you live? Uh, I, they, we rented out to them. Oh, wow. So basically, that was very short-lived. And we lived, uh, well, we did Words on Main for about, I don't know, it was like six or seven months. And it was really awesome. And I swear I... I learned how to host and kind of was like kind of getting my feet wet with that. And Damien was doing shows in Keyport. So like it was kind of like the like the sister shows, you know, and that was like kind of like the first wave. And then uh, Dino's closed down. I did like something in like Lanoka Harbor after. And that was cool for a while. But I was kind of burning myself out. I was I was like when I was first teaching, Damien moved away uh, with his with Rebecca Weber because they're together and Uh they were like lived out in like Missouri. So. That was kind of that for like the first half. And that was like 2018, 19. And then the pandemic hit. I was going to ask, how did the pandemic affect it? So the pandemic hit and Damien was still out there with Rebecca and we still talked. Um, but I was hosting shows right pre, pre-Poetry pre Renaissance. I was hosting online shows because I was like, what else am I going to do? So I would call it the Couch Poets Collective. <laughs> and I was getting people from all over the place. Like yeah. I had a guy from Australia read England, uh, this woman from England, uh, Canada, you know, just like all over. And it was really good exposure. And I did like two sets of that. Like I did it for two years. And then I was just like, I'm so tired of looking at a screen. I just need to stop. And I still get harassed for not bringing that back. Uh-huh. But that really was like nice. It kind of sharpened my skills. And I think it really helped me kind of pair like, uh, you know, launch to the next thing. And that was uh, coffee and words, you know. And so Damien came back in 2020, 2020, 2021. Um, and I don't know. We all just sat there and we we're like, well, what are we, we going to do next? We're sitting outside of 7-Eleven in Long Branch. And I remember just sitting there and we were like, still want to do this? Like, you want to, like, bring stuff back? And, like, I, you know, I, I miss those times. And they were like, yeah. So we just started doing shows again. It was like, it was like middle of 2021. And Damien started bringing shows back in Keyport first. And then last year, actually, I think it's April 10th was the first Coffee and Words on the boardwalk. And that's where that kind of formed. And it just took off. People wanted to get out of the house. People wanted to just feel alive again. And I think that's where it got that big boom. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was crazy. And it it's just like a, got bigger and bigger. It was just insane. You, yeah, you, uh, you mentioned the, the working class uh, uh bent of the of these events and i think that's uh, what it is yeah yeah the the quote uh from the documentary which i like i think it's from your your partner damien he calls it uh working class bar songs yeah right yeah and it's almost like the new jersey mirror image of the cowboy poetry it really is of the midwest but you know with with jersey 
like edge to it. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> our um our poetry tour that we did in the Midwest last year was called the Bada Bing Tour. <laughs> so we went to like Pittsburgh, we went to uh-huh. Bell, Missouri, we hit up St. Louis, Cleveland. Yeah. Um and you know, we like it was cool because they like were all about it, man. And this is like right before the PBS documentary and all that. And uh yeah, so that's kind of where that it's just funny and Jersey's always had this like style, this swag. Yeah. And um, it's just really cool that that was out in the world. And a lot of people watched that documentary and were like, holy shit, this is poetry. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, we've been working on it for almost 10 years in the making. And now it just feels really good. You know, can I ask you, you keep saying like, I, I just loved it. I loved it. Like, and I'm not a person who loves to write. I'm like, yeah, I'm a person yeah. who hates to write. OK, so when you say you loved what, like p- putting your thoughts down like on a page like what specifically about writing poetry do you love for me i think what i love about it is there's there's a couple of things i think one is just taking what you see around the world and giving it a voice rather it be a person yourself or um you know uh an object it could be anything you can make poetry in anything and i think what i love about it so much is just that i want to share that experience with someone else but I don't need to be fancy and have all these crazy vocabulary words. I can just be accessible. Like I want to have a conversation with you at a bar. We talked about that on the documentary. Like I want to sit down with you when you read my poems. I, there's no GPS to get through it. I don't want right. to sound like a dead white guy from 500 years ago. Right. I want to sound like you're talking to me in 2023. And you're, but I want you to feel something, and I want you to like take it with you. And that's that's like the goal. It's like making being it more inclusive. Yeah, to some accessible. Degree. Yeah, I'm not afraid of accessibility. You know, so well, I think yeah, the democratization of poetry is is you know big in the, throughout you know, yeah yeah the documentary and what you, you see. And I guess that's you know that makes sense because you know we, um, what academia did to poetry. Like for example, I love T. S. Eliot's Wasteland, but you know there are an awful lot of footnotes. Like you really, he wrote a poem for you know Brahmin educated other right. You know, like, did wasn't you have for the, the did you have this, Yeah, did you have the little education I had to hear? Check this out, right? And so he ma- they unintentionally made it inaccessible, like very uh, obtuse writing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you understand like some of the references, it it becomes a little clearer. But re- I think that's really what puts a lot of people off. You know, so it's like, well, it's not for me. It's 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 very, you know very snooty. So this is a nice re- reintroduction of like just words to people. Yeah, between, you know. Uh, who are in the same room, right? Yeah, and I, like, it's cool because I mean, when I like when I did uh, words on me, my first one, I mean, we I had all different types of people come up on the mic. You know, um, I had like I had a you know bartenders, garbage, you know, garbage people. I had a grave digger come up one time and read grave digging poems. It was fucking what? awesome, and it's just people were sharing a part of themselves, and it was just like whoa, like we're creating a platform for these yeah. voices that probably wouldn't have been heard if it was academia or wouldn't be judged if it was at a poetry slam. And yeah. that's what we were giving back the voice of people. Yeah. I want to rephrase when I said, so like maybe, you know, people didn't lose interest in poetry. They always had it. They just There's weren't allowed. There. They weren't invited to be part of the club. Be though. in the party. Yeah. Yeah. The so party. you, you opened the doors and people were ready to come in. And yeah. so that's why you had 40 people at your first. Yeah. Event. And it was, right. it was insane. Yeah. And yeah, there I'm, I'm really like, so the one that we're doing, on April 16th, I'm expecting like a pretty big crowd too. It's just the first one back since December. Uh-huh. People have been buzzing about it. And I'm like, holy shit, this should is we, all my fault. I'm, should, should we get I'm, I'm responsible for this. You know, like, should the, town, exciting. Should the town arrange for extra crowd control? Perhaps. <laughs> Crazy um, poets, man. Right. Totally. Getting rowdy. Yeah. Um, so when you're putting this, sh- first of all, 
I thought I Know Where the Sidewalk Ends was a profound well, book of poetry. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. My but son it, has it. But it's it a is. profound it book of poetry. It is. He wrote, and it's the only interesting one I would have read before reading some of your stuff in this new and the stuff you're talking about. But I would have said that if you said to me, what was your favorite book of poetry? Where mm-hmm. the Sidewalk Ends. Yeah. yeah. But that's a legit answer. I mean. Um, I don't know if it's legit or not. It's my answer. No. I mean, like, you know, uh, Nursery Rhymes. Shell, Shell Silverstein, uh, Doctor Seuss, Silverstein, like, yeah. Any all. of these things are, are all they're you know they're all not great, you know. Yeah, and um, Silverstein wrote a boy named Sue or a boy named Sue, the Johnny Cash song. He oh, wrote really? that. He co-wrote that. Yeah. Oh wow. He wrote a lot of like songs. Like you should check it out. Like look it up. It's crazy. I have so, the book. I actually have. I know where the sidewalk ends. Yeah, because yeah. my son likes it as well. Yeah, that's I. It's a great book, and I would even say like you know if you go back to to give like someone like Shakespeare his. Do he and didn't was, Emily Dickinson write a bunch of poems? Oh yeah. my god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's my favorite. If you yeah. want to really, but know. even she, um, she, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm uh, I'm a fan of Emily Dickinson because she was badass. She was very <laughs> badass and also in love with her brother's wife, and that, they had a lengthy relationship. Amy, so that that's how. Shout out to her. That's how this podcast <laughs> shout started. Out to that's how the podcast Dickinson. started. You and I had gone to see that movie. Oh, and I fell asleep. You fell asleep. Drank too you much. slept through the. <laughs> He slept through the oh, Emily I got Dickinson drunk, movie. and we went to go see <laughs> oh the Emily Dickinson movie with a, an actress I love, What's Molly a, Shannon. Molly Shannon, mm-hmm. who was great. I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Then we went to talk. I proceeded to get more drunk. Yeah, and invent the podcast. And we were like, "Let's do a podcast." I was like, "Okay, there you go, it. full circle on the poetry." I didn't realize that. But if, I mean, I wanted to go back to like you know academic poems. Like you know, Shakespeare doesn't need to be academic because he was not an aristocrat. He was a, and he created like twelve hundred. English words that we use that he created the word swagger. Yeah. He was, I mean, <laughs> he, assassination. You like, could even crazy. say he was like a street poet. Yeah. You know? At that time, like, probably, like, you know, yeah. almost like hip hop, like spit and rhymes, like really just, you know, cause the, the cadence is like, you know, that's why they stick in people's head, like lyrics of a song, you know? Yeah. Um, but I didn't mean, I didn't mean to, I don't know. I changed the topic. I didn't mean to do that. But. Well, I just want to say court. So you're a middle school teacher. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like how, what is your approach in getting kids to not be like me with poetry? Okay. So the key is to um, read stuff that's not only accessible to them, but this relates to them. Um, so I think it's like we were talking about before, like I'm reading a dry poem that's like 500 years old. I, I can't relate to that in 2023, you know, and it might be beautiful and I'm not taking, I'm not knocking it. Like, I, I do read some of the classics in my class, um, but I read a lot of small press poets, like people that I would go out to shows with. I have their books. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some wonderful people in the like scene that we're in. It's all DIY. It's very punk rock. It's DIY. There's like a punk rock ethos to it. People sell like chapbooks. It's like records. People collect them and then they're gone. It's like mm-hmm. insane. Um, but I try to read poets like that because they talk about things that I think more kids can relate to, or at least maybe relate to. Like so, for instance, like. I might write, I might let them read a poem and the poet is maybe a, a chef and maybe the kid, like one of the kids in my class, their mom or dad are a chef and kids can relate to that. And they're realizing like, Oh crap, I can do this. This is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. It's not so scary. I think sometimes people, when they first read a poem, you know, they got the knife in their pocket They're It's like a, Oh man, what are we getting myself into? Right. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I want people and do you to see resistance it. initially or no, I think at first and then when they start understanding it, they're like, oh, like, I got a poem. I understood a poem. And it's like this, like, feeling of, like, holy crap, I did it. And, and I could write one myself. I could write one myself. And that's oh. the key. And so I try to, I, I put that out a lot. I just, we read different poets. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, you know what the best part is? Most of these people that you're reading are alive still. 
You know, like right. you can actually search them up and yeah. maybe buy their book because they probably need the money because, you know, they're an artist and they'll take it, you know, for sure. They, you know, and like that's, I think, really, really cool. You know, like when after the documentary happened, I had a bunch of kids in my school and in a couple other schools, like just email me saying like sending me poems. And I was like, wow, like you're a seventh grader and this is like amazing. And I don't know, I just like. I would rather impress a seventh grader and inspire them than like some drunk at a bar because uh-huh. I feel like that kid's going to carry it and I love it. And who knows what they're going to bring like 10 years from now. And that's where you start it. It's like, there's like kind of this like fork in the road and I'm trying to close that fork, man. I yep. just want I'm like, Nope, come back. You you're know, gonna, like, you're going to be in the acknowledgements at the beginning. This is, you know, these go out to my, yeah. uh, my, my teacher cord, <clears throat> uh, which would be, you know, which would be great. You know? And we do like open mics at my school. We usually do it in May. And it's cool because a lot of the kids that I, I that I teach, I teach special education. And a lot of it's just behaviors and things like that because, you know, their home lives aren't very good or they're dealing with a lot of stuff. Like I had a kid in my one class who was always sleeping and I thought he was sick or something was like wrong. And so I was like, hey, man, like you need to go to the nurse or is there something? And he was just because he was like, you know, 13 years old working overnight with his parents at a hotel because they needed to like survive. And it's just like. So, you know, it's like things like that, but those types of kids come to my open mics and they have something to say, they have mm. a chip on their shoulder and that's, it's better to do that than do, to do it some other way and, you know, more harmful way or to do something stupid. I feel like that's really empowering. You know, it's an experience that they're sharing with you mm. and they're only going to hone it and craft it because it never really ends. It's just like, it's just really your experiences. It's not like a band where like, over time, the songs get a little less, you know, they have a little less hit or teeth, you know, like you're just constantly living your life and just putting these experiences on paper and hoping someone else will relate to that. And that's like what I think is like really important about it. Mm-hmm. What about like, so, and we, we asked this of Tom when we did mm-hmm. Tom who let us use the house mm-hmm. was a reviewer. Um, when what if what if it's not good? What if the the poem's terrible? Do you have a criteria, or do you do you say it was charming? Like what? Like, what do you mean? Do you like use? for me? Like when I write a poem? Like if or somebody someone... sends you a poem and says, "What do you think?" and it's terrible. I mean, I'm still hundred percent grateful about it um, because it, it's they're they're being vulnerable with you. They're sharing a part of themselves with you, and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage to just share that, you know. And yeah, I mean, I say like I I won't like obviously I won't like. Be like, like oh, this terrible. sucks. I'll just be like, oh, maybe like try this image or that image or, okay. or just keep reading. That's the key. It's it's like, hmm. you don't know how many people I know that are writers that are supposedly writers that don't read. And I'm like, how do you learn your craft? It's like, if you're a chef, you have to cook with ingredients and taste ingredients. If you're a musician, you play music because you have to hear it and you listen to music. Yeah. So if you're a writer, you have to read because that's how you get your ideas and that's how you hmm. just understand those things. It's like, Oh, I have, there's like a machine, like how, like if you like, when I read a poem that I like a lot, I'll be like, well, how did they, it's like a machine. It's like, how did they create that machine? I want to break it apart and I want to figure out how they did that. And then you get ideas and you yeah. do your own thing. And that's like really cool. That's super important, right? When I, um, I used to teach English composition. Yeah. And, uh, our student, uh, you know, the current generation doesn't, doesn't read in the same way we had no. earlier. And it's not their fault. I mean, technology has moved. Mean? You know, I only ever their attention read. spans too are uh, very right. Everything, everything they learn is online, and so they don't. It's not like they lock themselves in a room for a day with a book, which is things that I would do when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, I was. I so I was to say you have to read more. I would say you have to read. You you know, to. It's like read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal every day, not the opinion, just the the news pages, just to get the sense of like how to put 
sentences together because they they hadn't been asked to do it. Or there's everything is visual, so it's much harder to do. And so I right. think that's great advice. So you have to read if you want to be a poet, you have to read a lot of poetry. And you know, you know you'll read stuff that you don't like too. And okay, you can just disregard it, or you'd be like, okay, well, I know what not to write or not how like to sound. It's just not speaking to me. That's okay. Yeah. It'll speak to someone else. So. Um, do you ever listen? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes I have a, I have a collection of recordings of uh, poets reading their own okay um, work, and sometimes the great poets are terrible readers of their own. Work. Some of them, yeah. Like you know, this 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 uh, recording. Like, there's a recording of Yeats reading one of his poems. Again, you know, not he has a thin voice. It was you know, it's not the bo- like the voice of his poems are bigger or Tennyson, or even James Joyce. Um, not a good reader of his own work. So hmm. when you when you're doing a performance or a live event, do you mm-hmm. run into that like where these are great poems, but someone's um, reading is well, I don't want to say. So when they do know, a bad audio well, book, you know it's a good. Book, I'm going to retract it because I don't want to criticize anyone for getting up because I've gone up and read poems in front of people and it's hard to do, and you're never your own per- like you know maybe you're not you're on your best, but but it, you know sometimes the written word and. You, as the author, we don't read it in the way that people are understanding yeah. it. They, maybe that's a better way to do it. I don't well, want to criticize I think um, you kind of hit it on the head. I think that's mm-hmm. literally the key of a really good poem mm-hmm. is like figuring out how it can smack you on the page and then in person when you hear it, it's like, damn, like mm-hmm. I felt that. And that yeah. takes some time. <laughs> yeah. And like what I usually do is like all you like when I'm, I, I mean, I'll write a poem and I'll go through like 50 drafts of the same poem. I'm like nuts. I like let it sit. I'm really hard on my work. Um, but I'll usually do like text to speech. I'll listen to it like a song because I want to hear the cadence of it. And then mm-hmm. it's like kind of like memorizing a song. So when I go up, I can like, I can figure out my mannerisms and how, and some poems are quiet. Sometimes the quiet ones hit harder. It just yeah. depends on the reader. And I mean, I've heard, I've had a couple of my friends who read very low and quiet. And I think it just depends on really the environment and the poem, because if they can understand it, then you're good. But like, you don't want to speak low. Like we read at bars, you're going to use a yeah. microphone yeah. because there's always going to be people like even coffee and words. Like it was on the boardwalk outside. There's people walking by in the middle of the summer in Asbury park. Mm-hmm. If you're not bringing it, you're not going to, you're going to drown in it. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I have to say, I saw that clip in the documentary and I had anxiety on your behalf. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. But they all to... brought it. They all brought it. Yeah. Man. Like standing up. So they were standing outside of Asbury roastery reading to people in that little, you know, where she had like the seats outside, mm-hmm. but the July boardwalk crowd is walking by. Stella Marina hated us. Oh, I'm sure they did. You know, they weren't very happy. They were like, had people walk inside and were like, enjoy Asbury Park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that takes a uh, really uh, guts to get up. Um, you know, it's one thing to read to your, uh, uh, fans of poetry who, you know, they came to see it. So they're sitting here, right. but then you have the general public yeah. right, right there. Who are going to be like, what's going on here? My favorite, that's like one of my favorite things, though. It's like, so in even like in, I see this at every show, even like not even mine, but like you'll be sitting in a show and there's a bunch of people in the room and you'll just see passerbys walking by and they like look in the window real quick and they're just like, they're, you, you see, you just like catch them too looking and they're just like, whoa, like what's going on in there? Yeah. And it's like, it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people come in and that's like, that's like that invitation of like, welcome, like check it out and a lot of people stay and it's it's just this feeling of like a community you know well yeah i think uh, i think it's great i mean you know when we were talking about you know the trajectory of poetry from um sort of falling away you know out of favor publicly um you know poetry is important sort of structuring who we are i think very famously um 
Robert F. Kennedy, after uh, Martin Luther King was shot, he in his speech, he quotes Aeschylus from memory. Yeah, yeah. Right? And just two lines, and it hits like like a bomb. Yeah. Well, a, a, a B-A-L-M. It's sort of yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, you know, and so poetry is just the thing that sort of helps structure so many of our emotions. And once you start diving into it, it's so you can hang on to these things as... Um, I don't know. They provide like sort of an infrastructure for for so many of, of emotions and expression. It's, it's, it's one just, of the oldest forms of art, the yeah. spoken word, and I mean, music is poetry. It's just with sounds. Um, Everyone you, knows lyrics, but they pretend they don't like poetry, mm. right? They say, "No, you do." But it's okay. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it needs to evolve, like how we are. It can't, you know, if it's not relatable, then it's obsolete. It's just got to change with time. We got to get it out of the library mm-hmm. and into the coffee shops. Right? Yep, and, exactly, exactly. <laughs> in the bars, right? And when you do these events, like just as somebody puts on events and puts on events with speakers, right? Right, so you right. Have to, like, we have set our features, time. and then we have our totally, open mic. Totally, stay on this topic. We yep. did like a, a Dobbs, a, an event after Dobbs, trying to keep people focused and speakers focused on overturning Roe v. Wade, right? So when you're putting on these events, like take me through that logistically. Is there a time limit? Do so, they show you their, how do you know they're not going to say something? I mean, I usually, I usually do a lot obscene. of research on my, on like my features at least. Okay. The open mic, it, I think it's like really the kind of the culture. So I feel like your features usually, I usually have them go on first and then I have my open mic list. And if you haven't signed up by like the middle feature, you don't go on because you have to be there. You have to be a part of it. You can't just show up after the feature. Oh, I yeah, get yeah. people like that. I cut them out. I'm like, nope, you got to come back next time. Whatever. I've been cursed at. I'm like, can't do it. Sorry. Like you got to be here for everybody or just don't show up. Right. And they yeah, come so back. When you just said the, so what's so interesting to me is like, so when Some we're doing do speaking that. event, oh, totally. And I don't like, put the headliner until the end. The headliner goes on the yep. end. So you better be here for this whole thing or we'll yep. slide them in the middle. But you never start with the headliner because everybody will leave after. Well, yeah, you want, but so, you want them to support everyone else. Like, right. Uh-huh. So we have the features first. They read for like 10, 15 minutes. If it's somebody out of town, I usually make them read a little longer. Um, and then, and you don't review it first. No, I, I know their stuff. Like you I look do. them up. Okay. Yeah. I even do like an about the feature. If you look on coffee and words on Instagram, like there's legit, like meet the feature and it tells you like everything about them. And then the open mic, it's a beautiful thing because it's really like kind of your, um, bullpen you're looking and you're seeing, okay, who's out there that wants the feature next or who's out there that really is going to show up and bring it. But then, yeah, you do have people that bomb or you do have people that will come in there and not do the best. I haven't really had any issues with that because I kind of set the culture, you Mm -hmm. know, and we don't tolerate it. I put it on my shows. These places are safe spaces. Like we don't want any of that whack shit. Like don't bring it because you won't be happy about it. Like there's a lot of alleyways in Asbury park, you know, we don't don't want that. Like you, it's, it's very punk rock ethos. Like, Everybody's accepted. It's a safe space. No creeps. No racism. No homophobia. You're pretty clear about that. And all all of your public stuff, you know, it's very. I don't want it. Yeah. So and you don't see it. They're not showing up and doing open mic. Because it's like also too, you have like 40 or 50 people in there, and it's like you say something stupid. Totally. It's like, oh man, that's not good. Like, because then you're looking at all those faces, and it's just you have something really beautiful going. So like, why ruin it? You know, these things don't last forever, and I know that. I've done many of them and uh so you have to enjoy it but you have to also protect it so but we have a very nice crew and the people that pop in i'm always very I, i'm always very cautious like i let them read on the open mic cause it's a public space um but yeah i don't really have those types of problems at my shows and i kind of make it clear like this is what you're what we want you know like as long as like everybody feels safe that's like that's my job as a host it's totally different as being a poet hosting is like a different animal 
you're doing all the work, you know, like you're literally making the flyers. You're the one introducing everybody. You're the one organizing everybody. If somebody comes like 20 minutes late when they knew about it for two months, you're like, oh my God, like it's just, it's constantly you're running around. So, but you have to make sure everyone's feel safe and you Mm -hmm. have to put on this face like, yeah, let's go. And and I mean it, I'm being genuine, but it's just like, you're definitely moving around all night, you know? I want to go back to Emily Dickinson for a minute. Did you host the reading of Emily Dickinson at the bar at Wild no, Air? Oh, no. that was someone else. That was somebody else. Because it's right yeah. next to. Uh, so, uh, you, the moving forward, the readings are going to be in the Second Avenue uh, location for Asbury Roastery. Oh yeah, Roastery. always shout out. But to But right Allie. next to there was the oh, Wild Air wow, yeah. at the bar. Someone did an Emily Dickinson reading in the bar, and that's I was like, awesome. "That's wild!" Like I, th- I, f- I thought it was you. I didn't know. And I like I how now that the roastery is right next to the brewery. I'm like, yes, you know, like, <laughs> get all your needs. They're all going to go after. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And where do you want to see? So what? Like, what's the end game with this cord? Um. Well, it's funny because this whole thing, you know, Damien and Rebecca and I never saw this thing coming like this. I mean, I never thought it was gonna be on PBS doing poetry. Like, mm. we laugh about it. We're like, holy crap! There's people like that have watched it like all over the place. Um. I, you know, for me, I just want to make. I think my end game is. I just want to put out as much work as I possibly can. I want to tour the world. I want to like go all over the place and just make poetry accessible. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to be afraid of poetry. That's like my end game. Mm-hmm. I still love teaching. Teaching is like my other gig, you know, but I want to, and I feel like I can kind of incorporate those two things, which is awesome. I'm lucky and fortunate for that. But um, yeah, like that's kind of like my end game. I just want to like leave something good for the world when I'm gone. You know, I just want to leave something where I want people to have certain experiences or memories of going to my shows and just being happy. And I think like, I think I'm only going to host, like I'm 35 now. I want to host for like another like five years. I've said this to people, people know this and it's not mean that like I'm going to stop writing or be a part of the community, but I would like to just wake up one day when I'm a little older and just be like, look online, see a bunch of shows, like how, like how like you see like shows like at the stone pony or like after lanes and they're just all over scattered over New Jersey. And you're just like, man, I can go to this one or that one and I have nothing to do with it, but it's beautiful because I can go there and hang out and just support and just continue this tradition with other mm. people. Cause I would, I would like to do that. You know, like the hosting thing is a lot of fun. I kind of fell into it, but I, it needed to happen because it was just that movement and we needed people to bring it together. And I'm proud of that. But I think like, I want to eventually, do like just more of my own work and do my like, you know, just different things, you know, maybe make my own press one day mm-hmm. and just do like something, another animal and just go and do that. So. Well, poetry is a lifelong affliction. Yeah. You're never, you're never, <laughs> you can never quit. It, right. it's, your, it's your brain, your brain, how you see the world. So it's like, you never really run away from it. Cause even when you're trying to like, you're like, oh, I'm going to take a break. And then like you walk down the street and you see the wind, like blowing like a beer bottle down the street. And you're like, that's a poem. And you're like, Damn it! It caught me again. Like it's just your. It's how your mind works. It's well, cool. Well, I start um, recently. We've been buying. Um, well, you know, getting back into poetry, sort of randomly, and buying, you know, anthologies of, of uh, poets like collected works, right, and right. realizing how long they practiced. Mm-hmm. So, fifty years of poetry. So it could be things that you know. Uh, so right. the collections start. You know, from here and then fifty years worth of collections. You know, so it's I'm, a lifelong. Thing. I'm putting out my first full length in uh, the fall, finally, which yeah. I'm super excited about, and it's from like 2018 to now. Yeah, because even though I've been writing since I was a kid and really took it kind of seriously, 2013 ish, um, it wasn't really until 2018 that I felt like I really started like being more comfortable with my voice. I was reading a lot more. I was kind of experimenting. 
And like, you know, and that was like kind of like, okay, there's some good poems. And like time is the best editor. You look back at stuff that you wrote and rather if you love it, you're like, that's a good poem. But if you're like, mm, let's, you know, let's put that in a fire. Or if I'm having a bad day, let me look at that and get a good laugh. You that, know, like <laughs> that was one of my questions. Did you ever go back to poems you wrote you oh, know, yeah. 10 years ago? I'm like, oh my God. Wait, I, like, this is awesome. Or like, I can't believe it. I laugh at them, but it's also, I'm grateful for them. Um, they're humbling. Yeah. It shows that like, I was just, those ideas were there. They just weren't executed to like what they should be now. And also it's like, kind of like, well, you know, it sh- it's a reminder that you always have more work to do. Yeah. And so it's like kind of this chip on my shoulder, this like hunger, but it's, they're humbling. Like I, when I look at them and be like, even with the PBS stuff, I mean, like I've gotten so many people that are giving me attention. And it's really cool, but I'm just keeping my head down. I just want to keep writing. I don't want to focus. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for it, but I just at the same time, I want to write. I want to make art. I want to create and I want to keep doing that until I can't do it anymore. You know. So, I feel like I wrote a paper on Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton. Nice. Weren't they poems? Yeah, they were yes. badass. Yeah. 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 Anyway. How, how was the paper? I think it did well. Yeah. I, was, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think lucky. it did well. I think so. It was 20 some years ago in my women's gender study class. So uh-huh. I'm sure it was loved if it, I awesome. wrote about Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton. Um, so uh, we're coming up on the, our time. Uh, do you have any last questions? I don't think so. Uh, just to, did we promoted your event? Yeah, I want to pr- yeah. promote We're your event. Like, so, on the 16th. Cord, where can people find Coffee and Words here in Asbury Park I in the schedule? So, Coffee and Words, you could follow us on Instagram at Coffee uh, and Words APR. Um, and then it's going to be the first two events are on April 16th and April 30th at the Asbury Park Roastery in Asbury Park, New Jersey on 2nd Avenue. And you can follow Asbury Park Grocery. They're awesome. Coffee is amazing. It's my favorite. Yeah. Shout out to Allie, who refuses yep. to come on to the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. She should have came on with space. me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what is your website? My website, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just Cord Moreski. It's my name. Um, I'm like one of the only people with the name Cord. Uh, That's true. <laughs> and uh, But you can also follow me like on online. It's uh, my name, like www.com, too. Mm-hmm. So. And you know you can uh, read Cord's work there because you can either purchase his chapbooks or even download the PDFs for yep. free. It's on my website, um, so you can see his work and clips. And the New Jersey Poetry Renaissance uh, was featured on PBS, and I didn't write down the title. It's um, Voices in the Garden. Yeah, yeah NJ PBS. New Jersey PBS Voices in the Garden. It's a nice uh, fifty-seven minute uh, tour of, of came out great. Yeah, it did of, of poetry. You know, in Asbury, uh, Keyport, Woodbridge, Newark. Um, yep. Huge, right? You know, yep. didn't expect, and you know, so many different people and faces. Very interesting. Well, Corda, and thanks. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, thank you for uh, having me. For those of you listening, when we wrap up, uh, we're going to ask Cord to record a couple poems for us, and we'll attach them to the end of the episode. So, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Now we have Cord Moreski reading five of his poems. This poem is called Aubrey for Andrew Moreski. My parents had just killed their bedroom lights when I decided to sit on the porch after supper, listening to Let It Be by the replacements and sipping on fat tire in a broken beach chair. It was September and all that was left in the shore town were locals and the subtle hints of autumn in the ocean air. That was when my little brother Andy came out of the house and introduced me to Aubrey. He told me that he met her back when he was six years old. Andy snuck into our older sister's bedroom and saw Aubrey's reflection in posters of Ginger Spice and Belinda Carlisle, 
and palettes of eyeshadow and lipstick, and in the array of powdered brushes and bags scattered like pirate treasure along our sister's vanity. They continued to talk in high school. He wrote love poems for her during eighth period composition class, repeating the mantra, love has no identity. Then they moved to Astoria together after college. She told him to grow his hair past his ears and down his shoulders to drown out the sound of gossip that would be about him, to paint his fingernails blacker than the looks he would receive, to wear his thrift store dresses and stilettos better than any woman he would ever know. One day, Andy told me as we clinked our beers together, I'm going to introduce her to mom and dad, but that's whenever they're ready. This is a new one. This is called Night Swimming. After working another shift in the oppressive Jersey heat, taking food orders from the privileged and counting tips so I can make my rent that just went up again, any ghost from Roman literature would definitely point out that I haven't been very carpe diem as of lately. So I make my way to North End Beach, surrounded by teenagers making out past their curfews in the sand, and stoners hotboxing beneath overturned lifeguard boats. I take off my work clothes, while this drunken couple on the shoreline beside me continue their post-bar conversation about the fate of the world, the fate of us all, fire and ice, as if they were knocking back a few earlier with Robert Frost. They try to ask me what I think, but I'm already diving into the surf. And by the time I resurface, they leave, and all I'm left with is just this darkness, as I float on the calmness of the water. I don't know what'll happen, I think to myself. But the stars sure do look pretty tonight. Angel. A pair of weathered high tops dangle on the telephone line. That was supposedly from a guy named Angel, who lived in the unit below me that's now a boiler room. He overdosed at 27, with a needle in his arm and a high that tried to carry him to heaven, but got stuck on the wire instead. This one's called Won't You Be My Neighbor. They resented us when we rented on their block, scoffed at my parents' occupations, made fun of our outdated cars, felt charitable after they purged old clothes from their closets that eventually became ours. Now I see their kids all grown up like me, at bars or on social media, working the same tired jobs, driving the same model cars, feeling the same familiar pain. But I know that if they ever asked for my help, I'd still give them their shirt off my back. Apartment karaoke. They say the world is coming to an end sooner rather than later, and I'm sure they're right, but tonight is apartment karaoke. After working another double at the restaurant, after another Miss Family gathering, after another order ticket stab for people more comfortable than any of us will ever get the chance to know. You let your hair splash along your shoulders while you sing to the company of insomniacs and dreamers, burnouts and believers, with Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody, as your voice carries through the cloudy living room like confetti in the wind, celebrating another night we all forgot about death for just a little while. 